And welcome to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome. This is episode 8. Wow, they start to pile up after a while. Today is Saturday, April the 25th, I believe. We're Wow, we're almost done with this month. It's hard to believe. Um, I really long for the old days before the pandemic hit. Um... Uh, and that was just a little less than two months ago. And I'm already pining for the old days. Um, it will never be the same exactly again. I understand that. And, uh, I mean, people are already having parties. I can hear there's somebody having a party down the street tonight. Uh, I'm not going to... Well, I, you can't not help talking about the virus. And how it affects people. I see how it affects people. I know how it's affected me. And it takes its toll. I mean, we're, we're all very tired of being cooped up at home. Uh, you can hear it. People are having parties. People are having get-togethers. And you know what? Babies are still being born, I'm assuming. And people are still dying. Um, I lost my friend Victor a couple of weeks ago. And... The thing about death and dying, and I've mentioned this before, both in my blog some time ago and uh, recently when my friend Victor died. Uh, last weekend, last Saturday, our neighbor, man that I've known for over 40 years, Augustine Martinez, passed away. He was a longtime smoker, quit started off and on again, uh, recently contracted cancer, hadn't seen him in a while, but uh, every now and then he'd pop up in his in his yard and, you know, he'd say hello and whatnot. My parents would see him more often than I would, and he passed away, and uh, it's just weird what death does to people. For some reason, his family, his children, well, they really weren't his children biologically, he was a stepdad. But uh, they completely omitted us from everything. Didn't even have the DCC to come and knock on the door and tell them that he had passed away. We saw that everybody was next door. And we just kind of put two and two together. So we didn't know where his services were, where they buried him. All we know is that they had their after uh, funeral picnic, family get together. And then this past weekend... They've been cleaning out the house and garage and getting rid of stuff, and uh, we're making the assumption they're going to sell the house and the property that it, that's on. We don't know because they haven't come and told us. Now, we've known these people 40 years. I mean, I, I went to school with most of their kids, uh, and then they treat us like this. Well, see, but that's the thing. Death does strange things to people. Uh, not with my friend Victor, I only knew Victor. I never met his family or his children or anything like that, so I wouldn't expect any kind of... I mean, I was notified by the by our facility. Uh, the facility administrator called me aside one morning and said, I know you were friends with Victor, and I just wanted to tell you yesterday, but you never called me back, that he had passed away. And I was like, it hurt, because, I mean, Victor was my chairmate. He was no more than six feet away from me in his chair, and we would talk, we talked, and I shared my fears, he shared his, and, and he's gone, 
And sometimes I look to the new person that's in that chair on my left, and I was like, you're not Victor. I tried talking to them, and they didn't want to talk, which is fine. Well, I have a new chairmate. He's this man, Mr. Queen. And so we'll see. It's like uh, guys that served in the NAM, Vietnam. When you were the FNG, the fucking new guy, nobody wanted to know you because you weren't going to last in country very long. But if you listen to what the the old timers who had been around in country a while learned from them, and you survived a few battles, a few skirmishes, you probably would have been, would have been accepted into the unit, and then you would have known. But usually the new guys were full of uh, vim and vigor and full of... Uh, all the stuff that just came out of boot camp with and go into the first skirmish and they're dead. So they really didn't want to get to know. It's sort of the same way at clinic. You don't really want to know the new guy because he might not be around very long. This is how precarious we live because at any given point in time, you may not come back. Victor was sick with the flu, went to the, went to the hospital because it wasn't getting any better. And then he dies of a heart attack. Now, I've mentioned before that over time, when you're on dialysis a long time, one of the things that gets weakened in your body is your heart. Um, they don't stress it because they don't want to worry anybody. Uh, the other thing is that you're going to have problems with your teeth because they're always, how are your teeth doing? Well, you know, you're not going to fix them, so why should I tell you? Um... But I'm already having that problem, so I'm worried that at some point I may go to the hospital and my heart gives out. And that's how it goes on the chart that he died of a heart attack and not because of complications from dialysis because they don't want that on a record because it makes a facility look bad. But you know what? It is what it is. They have to accept the risk because we do when we sign the form that say, yes, I will allow you to perform dialysis on me. We take the risks as much as the doctors take the risk. But the doctors have to answer to our families when we go. This is one of my greatest fears. I mean, I worry. Uh, my mom made an observation today. She goes, what's that huge vein on your arm? The vein where they stick me seems to be growing, and it's alarming me slightly because I've seen some people's arms, and they have, it looks like an elephant's trunk is jutting out of their bicep and this worries me because I try to I have weight weighted gloves that I try to perform exercise with just to work it out but uh, I don't know so once again this is one of my greatest fears but getting back to uh, the death thing it weirds people out I think the main reason because from what I've read and I try to understand about death and the dying process when you go to a service, a wake or a rosary for my culture, we are saying goodbye to that person that died, but also we are all sitting there on our knees praying or sitting there, you know, reflecting not so much his life, but our lives, because when you go to a, a service for a, a death, a deceased person, you have to acknowledge your own mortality and the fact that that's going to be you at some point. And are you comfortable with that? 
you shouldn't be because nobody wants to die. I certainly don't, but I know I'm going to. I just don't know when or how. That's the fear. That's the thing that makes us worry so much about death. But yet I wonder about the young person that's got a beef with somebody, decides to drive by his house and pump it full of lead, and in the process the person that he wanted to kill doesn't die, but it kills somebody else. You made a conscious decision to go and retaliate against somebody and didn't get the person you wanted, you got somebody else. So now you have blood on your hands that you have to atone for. And nine times out of ten, you're probably going to die a very violent death because this is the life you choose to lead. I'm not blaming anybody for the lives that they lead, but you if you see what's going on in the world, you probably understand what I mean. Um, it's a thing that should bother all of us, but really shouldn't because this is, we are linear beings. We live from point A to point dead, and that's it. All the stuff you do in between at your time of your death is really irrelevant, unless, of course, you happen to walk on the moon or Mars or something like that, discover the cure for the COVID virus. I don't know. How do you make your mark? Or does it even matter that you made a mark? Or even a smudge? I don't know. These are perplexing things, and all you can do is just roll with the punches. Um, I've done a lot of things in my life that I should have died or been killed. But who knows? I didn't, and I'm here. I have that experience. I have that ability to reflect back on what I did. Were they stupid things? Hell yeah. Absolutely. Did I have to do them? No. But as I have a lot of younger friends, and I see them doing a lot of stupid shit, I get it. I've been there. Sometimes you push the envelope too far, and you crash and burn. I've had enough friends that have died at early ages to know that for sure, for a fact. Um, so, yeah, if you'll notice, you, and, and if you go to enough of these things, you'll notice that death really brings out the worst in people sometimes. And sometimes it brings out the goodness in people. It's just, it's just a really weird set of, of, of circumstances. You know, did you love the... I mean, you know, like like in the case of Mr. Martinez, he gave me my first... One of my first jobs. I mean, when he used to go and clean bingo halls at night on the weekends, and he hired me on to help him and his family out, and that's what I did. I never flinched. I never uh, skirted my work. I showed up on time. I did what was asked of me, and then some, and I got paid for it. And... It gives you a better view of life. It's funny that we're talking about life in the presence of death because they're both they're both um, entities on opposite ends of the scale, but they are one and the same. Life lets you live it until you die because you have to. That is what's required. This is what you signed up for when you came screaming out of your mama's womb at the top of your lungs. So, to my friend Victor, 
I hope I know you're in a better place. And to Mish Martinez, I also know you're in a better place. Nothing hurts you anymore. Nothing bothers you. Everything's okay. And that's the only thing I can hope for for myself. Um, it's uh, just a natural thing, but it does so much to people. It brings out the worst because sometimes people are harboring feelings towards you that they just come out. And you know what? I may see these people in three or four months and it's like nothing ever happened. Which is why I've told you a few segments, I think the last episode, you got to forgive and you got to let things go. Because all that's going to do is just irritate you, make you sicker sometimes, and just deride from your health. And you can't have that. It shouldn't be like that. It's in the face of this COVID-19 pandemic. The nicer we are to one another, the better off we all are. Because being an asshole just isn't going to get you anywhere. It's just going to it's just going to age you much much more. And don't sit around and bitch about it on Facebook that people do this and you know what people are people. They're going to do what they got to do or what they're going to do. And the best you can do is just smile at them. And, and send them on their way. The person that taught me that was Jeff Hines. Because the people at the club used to really get under my skin. And then one day Jeff took me aside and he said, Hey, listen, just let it go. It's not worth it. You'll never see these people again. Yeah, I'm doing a British accent because he's a, he's a Brit. And uh, you know what? I was much, much better for it. The person that really taught me that lesson was Chris Duell. He took me aside one time and said, "Sometimes you have to take the high ground, and be the bigger person, even if it means you gotta you gotta bend over and, and kiss somebody's ass. Be the better person. Be the bigger person. Take the high ground. And I've tried doing that, and a lot of times it works out. And sometimes my nature gets the better of me, and I want to fight. But that is my nature. I mean, I that I can't change. I mean, I'm trying." As Jules said in, uh, what was that movie? Oh, Pulp Fiction. I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard. And it's work. Because it's life. And life is work. And there's a reward all the time. Sometimes it's something you can hold in your hand. Sometimes it's not. But there's always a reward to being the better person. Let other people be ugly if they want to be ugly. You just smile and send them on their way because there's not much else you can do. So, here we are, segment one, episode one of the Chairland Chronicles. And I've said my piece, and we're going to go on from there. So you stick around. I'll be right back. These are the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. We'll be right back. And welcome. We're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And here we go. Uh, I originally was trying to download a song to do some background music. I was trying to download uh, Pink Floyd's um, Comfortably Numb. 
before the opening the words were, Hello, is there anybody out there? Can anybody hear me? Is there anyone at home? Because I haven't gotten feedback from anybody, uh, so I don't know that anybody's listening to this podcast. And if nobody's going to listen, well, there's not much point in me doing this. So, if you listen to this and you like it, let me know what you liked, what you didn't like. That's the only way I can build it to be better. Uh, Okay. I really would also love to know that more people are listening to this than just my mom. And even my mom's starting to miss episodes now and then. I don't know why, but... uh, if you're listening, drop me a net, drop me a note. Tell me how I'm doing or how you think I'm I should be doing. Because I can't get any better if I don't know what's what's wrong what's wrong. I can't fix it if I don't know what's broken, as the saying goes. So today, let's see, I'm going to do Tales from the ER. I haven't done one of these in a while. And this one goes back to December the thirtieth, twenty eighteen. When I was in the ER with my infected toe that I thought I was going to have to have amputated. But it turns out I didn't have to. The, the attending podiatrist canceled the, op- the surgery and said, we can treat this with antibiotics and we can kill that infection. The bone is not infected. You don't have to lose the toe. So he saved me from an un- unnecessary surgery and... Uh, I've been doing a fighter in it ever since. The toe's fine, the toe's healthy, and uh, I owe that doctor a big vote of thanks and confidence. So, Dr. Shear, thank you very much, sir. Keep it up. Okay, back to Tales of the ER. This happened at Downtown Baptist Hospital back in December of uh, 2018, right before the year turned, December 30th, actually. And uh, I was there for the tow, so I'm in the ER. I'd already, I'd already been there about four hours, so they're trying to wait. They were waiting on results for my blood work and all that, so they uh, rolled in this guy and put him in the in the room. Well, it's not really a room; it's just a curtain that separates us. And they put him next to my bed, uh, and he was there with his son. His young son, I think the son was about 16 or so, and his wife. And, uh, damn it. Okay, sorry, the, my dog had to go out. So, so it's, a, it's the, the man and his wife and his young son. And the man is a heart patient, uh, Person. He's got heart trouble, and he had a heart monitor uh, attached to him that went off and caused a, a big scare with the wife, so they brought him in the ER. He's there in the hospital. Now, they're waiting on his cardiac surgeon or his cardiac specialist to come in and see him. So he'd already been paged, and they were waiting on the doctor. So uh, I can hear him talking to his wife and his son. And this guy is talking like he's not going to be, he's not going to walk out of the hospital. And he's like telling his wife, you know, where all the important papers are for the house, the car, the safety deposit box, all that, all that good stuff. And no, she's like, no, you're going to be fine. The surgeons, you know, this thing went off. We don't know, but the surgeon, you're going to be fine. So then he starts telling his son that you're the, you're going to be the man of the house 
and all those good things that a father tells his son when he knows he's not going to make it. <clears throat> and then he says something really interesting. He goes, also, mijo, I need you to know that I have gold buried in the yard. I have three jars of gold coins, bracelets, and nuggets that I've collected over the years buried in his backyard. <laughs> so then he's telling him that, you know, he's going to tell him where it is and this and this. And <clears throat> then I, I'm such a shit, I just whisper because the sun is sitting right by me. Because um, I can see him leaning against the curtain. And I just start to whisper, What is your address? What is your address? And the kid heard me because then he tells his dad, Dad, why do you keep asking me that? You know where we live. I don't have to tell you where we live because you already know. He thought it was his father's whispering his last words to the son, I guess, testing him. So... I'm having a good laugh over that one. I, you know, you got to do the things to keep yourself active in the ER because it's it's sheer boredom when you're waiting for your results to come back, and then trying to figure out what they're going to keep you. They're going to move you to another room. So it's about oh my goodness, three four in the afternoon. They bring in this other kid, this big strapping young fellow. He's probably about twenty six, twenty seven, and they put him in the in the bed across from me. So I can see him as he's sitting there. So then the nurse comes up and says, we're going to have to draw blood. And she closes the curtains. She goes, now what's the problem? He goes, well, it's it's been very painful when I... when I, And he has no no grasp of the concept of medical terminology. So he just calls it as he said. He goes, it hurts when I piss. She goes, oh, you're having trouble urinating? He goes, yeah, 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 urinating. I can't, I have trouble urinating. So she goes, uh... I need to take a look at it. So he pulls down his pants, and uh, she goes, is there a discharge? And he's, I guess he's showing her his penis, and she goes, oh, yeah, there it is, okay. She took a sample, and they, she walked off with his blood, and they went to go run his labs. So now the guy's there waiting, and uh, he's got the curtain open. I can see him sitting on his bed. And uh, it's about a half hour goes by, and then the nurse comes back and closes the curtain. She goes, okay, I think his name was Mr., I forget his name, Satrio, something like that. She goes, we know what's wrong with you. You have got, uh, was it, you have an STD is what she said. I can't remember if you had gonorrhea or syphilis. He, he told her, she told him that he had an STD. She goes, when was your last sexual encounter? And uh, he's like, uh, two weeks ago. Okay, you need to contact that person or you need to give us her name, address, and phone number because we need to contact her. He goes, no, 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 I'll get a hold of her. I'll contact her. Just as he's telling her this, a woman, a young girl walks up to the curtain and she goes, Jorge? And that was his girlfriend, I guess. Because she starts eyeing the nurse like, who are you, bitch? 
And the nurse goes, we're just getting some information from him uh, because of the condition. She goes, what's wrong with him? I can't tell you. That's that's He's got to discuss that. I, I don't discuss, since you're not immediate family, you know. She goes, I'm his girlfriend. And, and she's like, you're the last person we're going to tell what he's, what's going on unless you authorize it. He's like, no, 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 it's, I'll tell her. So the nurse takes off. She comes back about 10 minutes later. He's hugging this chick up, kissing her, and I'm like, dude, okay, I'm pretty sure you've already slept with her, so she's got it too. And she's going to, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, because that wasn't, that wasn't going to end well for him. So the nurse comes back, and she goes, we're going to give you two shots of antibiotics. So she goes, I need you to, to drop your pants again. And so the girl's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, this is the thing about ERs. If you're, if you're residual people, you're extra people that have no business really being there, you need to shut the fuck up and let the medical personnel do what they got to do because if all, you, all extra people do is cause problems from what I've seen. So she tells the girl, I have to provide these injections. They're for his care. Is that okay with you? So she just turned away and didn't even acknowledge that girl anymore and just started talking to the patient. So the guy dropped his pants, he turned around, she put a, she put the needle in each of one of his cheeks and, and, and gave him the first dose, gave him a prescription for antibiotics that he was going to have to go and fill from the, from the pharmacy. So the girl was still perturbed about that, grabbed her purse, she goes, I'll be, I'll be outside for you, babe. So she left, and she now the nurse is telling him, you need to uh, refrain from sexual activity for the next two weeks, nothing, at all, because you're still good, you're still you're still potent, you can still pass this on to other people. So he's like, yeah, okay. He goes, you need to actually tell the person that you had your last sexual contact with that she needs to get checked by her doctor because we need to net this because it's just going to continue on. If she, I don't know who else she slept with. But if you gave it to her or she gave it to you, she's passing it on. We need to stop it with you. So he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they took off. And uh, I can only imagine the fight that they were going to have when he told her that he had an STD and he probably gave it to her. Uh, It's amazing the things people... People just don't realize that sound carries very well in an ER, although they're noisy. But when you're trying to get something, a point across, everybody can hear that. So if you're ever in the ER, keep your mouth shut or keep the conversation at a very low level because I might be sitting next to you and you may end up on the next Tales of the ER. All right, we'll be right back with more. Stick around. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And today marks the end of the imaginary fiesta that was celebrated by the city every year. But since we had the COVID-19, we couldn't really celebrate it because it requires people getting way too close to one another than they really should be right now. So we had an imaginary fiesta, I guess. I don't know what the medal's going to look like for that one. But uh, they ran the uh, last year's River Parade on Monday. 
the Battle of Flowers on Friday and the Flambeau on Saturday. And today, or Sunday, was the last day of uh, the Imaginary Fiesta. I don't know if there was an Imaginary Carnival. There was... But I know there was an imaginary Niosa. I guess nobody got their shish kebab or sausage on a stick or whatever they have on a stick this year. But they assure us they're going to have Fiesta in November. Right when the COVID-19 virus will probably kick back up because the summer will be over. And it'll be nice and cool again and nice and dark and dank. I don't know. That's what they're saying. But uh, if it had been me, I would have just scrap the whole thing until next year. And hopefully by then we have a, viru- or a vaccine for the virus and we can move all move on with our lives. But no, this is where we're at. A lot of things have been put on hold. Concerts. Most of my friends in the comedy business had to put their tours or gigs on hold simply because you know you can't be too close even though it's odd because in a comedy club the performer's on stage and he's a safe distance from the audience but the audience is very close together shoulder to shoulder sometimes depending on how packed it is but uh, they're going to start reopening businesses they're going to start with the restaurants and uh, they're going to have to make adjustments. That's, that's probably going to be the hardest for them. Because the city said that we can open restaurants, retail shops, and movie theaters. But they're only going to allow them to run at 25% capacity. So that means if you have a theater that seats 300, they're only going to allow you to take in 75 people at a time. This is not good for a restaurant because they want as many people coming in and out as they can. Then they all excuse me. Then they also have to rearrange the furniture, separate the tables from each other so everybody's at least six feet away. But how does that play out with your party of four? You're no more than three feet away from one another. That's way less than the recommended distance of six feet. So your guess is as good as mine how they're going to do that. It's good. It's a challenge that uh, somebody will figure out and pass it along how to do it. But, uh, you know, this is where we're at right now. There'll be a solution. There always is. They'll find a way to, to fix it. And uh, we can all go out and enjoy a meal or a movie or a laugh. And then once they get a virus or a vaccine cranked out, we can all go back to standing shoulder to shoulder, yelling at each other and doing all the things that we did before. Ooh, sorry, I have a lot. I'm yawning a lot. I'm really, I'm really tired. I don't know why. I guess because it's getting warmer. Heat takes it out of you. And then I also had treatment today so I had my I had I was assaulted today for four hours um, 
I have new chairmates now. Johnny is way on the other end of the row for me. He's about three or four people away. So I see him when we're, before we go in. But he's not right next to me like he usually was. Now I have a man by the name of Mr. Queen. And some other guy on my right. I have no idea who he was. But he spent most of his uh, shift. Or at least while I was there. Because I got on before he did. He was asleep. Mr. Queen sleeps a lot too. I don't. I would love to lay back in the chair and sleep, but I won't do that simply because in 2010 I had my colon removed, so if I completely relax myself and sleep, it can be very messy, and I'm not going to put the clinic or the technicians through any of that, so I will sit there completely awake, watching the news, entertaining myself with my Facebook and whatever else I can do to keep my brain occupied. And if I sound a little weird, it's because my voice... <laughs> my voice is what suffers the most. Uh, because when they're, when they're drawing fluid out of my body, and they're removing water, and they're removing potassium and phosphorus, sometimes the machine doesn't know what your safe level should be, and it removes too much which is why we end up getting cramps in the middle of the treatment. But in my case, I have trouble speaking because my vocal cords are fairly raw because they've been sucked out. And it takes at least a good 24 hours for me to get my voice back to the way it, I'm used to it. So... Excuse me again. So this this is the result of treatment for everybody who suffers in a different way. This is me. I, I kind of lose my voice, so I try not to talk too much. And then tomorrow morning I'll wake up, and I'll be good as gold until Wednesday, and the whole process starts all over. So these are the things that uh, I deal with. And I guess that brings me to my point. I go through all this and I report to you guys because I don't want you to have to. In a way, we all tend to kill ourselves, although we may not see it like that. Uh, for example, my neighbor who passed away recently, Mr. Martinez, he smoked for 40 years and honestly he was slowly killing himself. And I think he knew that, but he was hooked to tobacco, he was, he was addicted to tobacco. I've, I've been there, I've smoked excessively, but I quit. I've drank excessively to the point where I was an alcoholic, and I quit, I quit because I had to. I, I love to drink. Uh, and uh, so, I am at the position now where this is, this is my life, so I have to deal with all this, and hopefully if you're smart, and you listen to what I'm saying, and you ease up on the things that you do, the smoking, the drinking, the drugs, maybe you eat too much, you know, I'm not saying don't eat a Whataburger, enjoy one, I'm just saying don't eat it every day, that, that's when it becomes a problem, I knew some men when I was uh, 
working at uh, a sporting goods distributor. They ran a gun store and we would deliver guns and ammunition to them every day. We'd arrive at the, to make the delivery about the same time every day. Every day these guys ate Bill Miller's. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Bill Miller's, but they ate it every day. Every day, five big bags of Bill Miller's barbecue, poor boys, chicken, fries, the whole nine yards, and gallons of tea. And these guys scarfed it down. They weren't in the best of health, and from what I understand, the majority of, if there are five of those guys, and they're all dead. And I don't know what specifically killed each one, but I can tell you pretty much that eating Bill Miller's every day didn't help. Have a salad every now and then. Give it a break. You don't have to eat beef every day. You don't have to eat barbecue chicken every day, fried chicken every day. Every now and then, yeah, it's fine. Enjoy. But every day is going to be a problem. So, you know, yeah, just take it easy on all the things that you do. Moderation is the word. And I think you'll live a longer, better life for it. Mine's screwed. I did that to myself. But, you know, it is what it is. But if you heed what I say and just take it easy, you'll live a lot better, maybe a lot longer. It's hard. I know it's hard. Quitting smoke, quitting anything is hard. You know, so... Just uh, take my word for it. Trust me on this one. I, I wouldn't steer you wrong. Well, that's it for this segment. Uh, stick around. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. And we will be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And boy, it's been a very, very grueling few days for me. Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. I have two segments that I recorded that I've deleted simply because the subject matter was so intense that I got extremely upset over an incident that happened to me on my Facebook. A friend of mine posted a picture that I was in from, from God, 25 years ago. And I started listing all the members or the people in that picture. One person who has always been a running joke because she's got a lot of last names. She's been married up she's been married off and on, I think, about five different times. So she's got each name in her name, and that was always a running joke for me. Well, all of a sudden because of that I'm an adolescent and a bully from one of my other friends who has completely cut me off. And that's fine, you know what? I don't care. But here's the here's the thing the t- the two topics or the the point the talking points were loyalty. I've always been loyal to this individual. I've lied for him to protect him, and then he turns around. And he's thrown me under the bus many many different times, and I continue to protect him because he was my friend. I'm a very loyal friend. If you ever have me as a friend, I'm very loyal. I'm very fierce. I will protect you, sometimes even if you are wrong. But him and this other gal just hung me out to dry like 
I was nobody's no it was nobody's business and that really upset me mostly because he was my friend and you know what if you don't want to be my friend that's cool and so all the other people that were in the picture I didn't apologize to them I don't apologize for what I say or what I do unless I know I was in the wrong me personally not because somebody says I'm wrong um because I know a lot of people that are wrong all the time, and I say nothing because it's not my place to correct them. Um, so, I put another post and told all the other people in the picture that if you want, if you want to do so, to unfriend me, if it made you feel uncomfortable. But I mean, it's like, hey, this was 25 years ago, and you and you're gonna rehash that this over a name, please grow the fuck up. So that was that was very distressing for me for the past couple of days because I still can't get the shit out of my head. But that's cool, you know. It is what it is. People have burned me in the course of my life before, and I just don't care. I don't have time for it. So now let's move on. We've got a lot of things to cover, and since I deleted those two segments, I got to make up for lost time. So here we go. Well, we are getting close to that magic. Day, May the 1st, where businesses are slowly going to open here in Texas. Uh, I think they're going to start with the, the smaller retail merchants, some restaurants, and uh, but not everybody else. I, I the hairdressers, tattoo parlors, and massage parlors. I don't think we have any massage parlors in San Antonio, but I do know we have massage clinics where they teach the art of massage. Uh, so they're going to open slowly but surely. A lot of the merchants who run restaurants are the, the most greatly affected because they have to retool their entire operation, in some cases remodel because they want everybody to be six feet apart, and that's probably going to create a whole new segment of the police force because they're going to have to have people that go out and inspect restaurants to ensure that they're COVID compliant, I guess. Then again, I haven't heard anybody come out from the state saying that these are going to be the new guidelines, blah, 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 blah. No. Uh, so, it's a big up-in-the-air thing. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah, Joe Biden, who's running for president, has been slapped with a sexual harassment charge from back in, I think it was 1993. Um, they accused Trump of, because of a statement of where I grab him by the pussy. And... Joe Biden pretty much did the same thing, except he used a finger, and this is pretty bad for him. So it's going to be interesting to see. He hasn't, he has not acknowledged or denied the allegation. I think they're trying to build a case because she's got solid evidence against this guy, as opposed to when they held Justice Kavanaugh for the same for the same thing. There were four witnesses. But none of each one of them retracted their statements and said it wasn't true. They made it up because they, the Democratic Party asked them to. So now we have one woman who has filed charges against uh, the presidential nominee, Joe Biden. And uh, she's got a solid case. She's got witnesses. She's got backup. And Sleepy Joe's going to have a run for his money. So now this bites the question. What's going to happen now? Are they going to ask him to withdraw himself from the nomination for president? And if that's the case, who's going to step in and take his place? Bernie Sanders? 
or at the DN, the Democratic National Convention, is Barack Obama, Obama going to step back out on stage and say that his wife will run as the nominee for president? Or are they going to bring back Hillary, Hillary Clinton, give us another blast from the past, and make it a repeat of the 2016 election of her running against Donald Trump? And so now we go back to another topic, the wearing of masks. I wear my mask when I'm out in public. When I'm in my car, I pull it down because I don't have to. See, and that's another thing about the, the COVID. Uh, when the, the, the Judge Nelson Wolf, the county judge, I don't even know why the hell he's a judge. I, I, was he a judge? Is he a judge? He's an elected official, as far as I know. But he has a title judge. And, I think, and he loves to play that to the hilt. And then he's teamed up with our mayor, Mayor Ron Weenieberg, and they deliver a COVID-19 update every day at 6.15 in the evening. And these two guys really, really love to hear the sound of their own voices. So recently, the governor, Jim Abbott, said that you don't have to wear a mask if you are in your own car if you are well away from other people, uh, the mask is mostly as part of the social distancing when you're in close contact with somebody. And now the whole mask thing, and see, and Judge Judge Wolf was really upset that the governor didn't make it a mandatory thing because these two Nazis wanted it to be a mandatory uh, mask thing where they were going to f- exact fines and have uh, created another another uh, wing of the secret police to go around uh, being masked Nazis. So, yeah, I'm glad the, the, the governor overrode them on that one. Because now they're, states, they're saying that the masks really don't protect you. And, if you're t- and they're talking about the masks that I have, the little blue ones that they hand out at my clinic. Oh, and speaking of my clinic, here's the other thing. Ever since I had my run-in with that that nurse and the security guard where I got thrown out of the clinic, every day, a new mask for everybody. So nobody at the clinic has to ask for another mask. They're not making us wear them for three or four. Yes, they made us wear the same mask for three or four weeks straight. I was with one of my, uh, my chairmates, and he had asked the gal for another mask, and she said, no, you've had that one. You, it still looks good. And I told him, I said, dude, just bust the thing on the, on the, you know, bust the handle. They got to give you a new one. He was scared. He didn't want to do it. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I said, give it, give me your mask. I'll bust it. And I'll bust it right in front of her. And what's she going to do? She's either got to fix it or give you a new one. So anyway, after I had my run-in with, with those two people about the mask, the whole mask thing, and I went over it with the, the facility administrator and talked to him about it. And I said, here's the deal. You guys make us guard these masks like they're precious items, but yet we pay for it. We pay for all the all this, all the the equipment they have, the machines, the tubes, the needles, the masks, the face shields that the technicians wear. We pay for because you bill us through Medicare. Medicare pays you all that equipment. I should get my own box of masks. Each one of us should get our own box of masks, and we should get a face shield. Because the mask isn't going to, if a droplet with COVID floating around goes into my eye, guess what? I got it. Now I run the risk of dying. 
because you wouldn't protect me with a face shield. So, yeah. See, see how quickly things can get twisted around? You know, they tell the technicians that uh, they have to watch the masks. But, hey, when there's a closet full of them, because I was assured there was a closet full of them, and that, no, we didn't have to wear the same mask for three weeks, and they were wrong in telling us that, and the facility administrators corrected all of the technicians that were telling us that. So now we every, everybody gets a everybody gets a mask, regardless. This was all bullshit, and it's still bullshit because they're they're, they're doing all sorts of other stupid things, which got to stop. This is all all this is doing is holding us back from getting back to normal life. And here's the other thing to that. I've been watching the news, and there are two different studies going on. One, I believe, in Colorado, and the other one, I think it's in Michigan. I'm not too sure. But there are two different companies that seem to have a, vir uh, a vaccine in the works. One vaccine has already cured the, the disease in the test monkeys that they use, as opposed to the ones that didn't get the vaccine where most of them died. They already have 6,000 human subjects that are willing to be uh, tested with the vaccine to see how they fare. They already got the COVID. Most of them are not in great health, but if it stops them and they're sick, then we know they know it'll stop it'll stop it on a, in a healthier population. The other test is they have the vaccine. They've done their animal trials. Now they're ready for human trials. They have 1,100 patients that are willing to, and ready to subject themselves to testing the vaccine. I'm convinced from what, I, what I've seen on, on the, the doctors talking about this that probably within the 12 months we can have a very active and good vaccine that will work and keep us COVID free and that way we can all get on with our lives. But until then, yeah, we got to wear the masks. we gotta, we got to play the game. But don't let people bully you because, you know, here's that word again. Don't let people bully you because they say blah, 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 blah. Well, you show me where it says I can only get one mask and i got to make it last. That's bullshit. Especially in the situation we're in where we are high-risk people because we are all uh, have compromised immune systems because we have kidney disease. And you're going to tell me I can't get this? That's ridiculous. I pay for it. You wear it. You use the shit that I pay for and you tell me I can't have it? That's ridiculous. Fight for your rights. Stand up for yourselves. Tell people that's bullshit. They're not going to like it. I guarantee you that, but they got to hear it. And then when they hear it from enough people, they stop doing their stupid bullshit. And we can all get on with our lives much, much quicker. So, that said, uh, I think uh, something else I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about it in this segment. I think I'll bring it up for uh, something for the next one, and then we'll go from there. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. This is Ben Hur, and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur, and welcome back. Now, this segment's going to get a little bit juicier. No, I didn't see anybody doing it to anybody else, but there's a video going around. You may have seen it, you may have heard of it. It's called the Tic Tac Video. And no, it's not about Tic Tacs or a Tic Tac commercial. It's about something that's very unprecedented for the U.S. military. The Pentagon has re released a video of uh, 
a UFO. It's called a Tic Tac video because what you see in the gun sight of an F-18 looks like a little white Tic Tac. The thing is actually 40 feet long and uh, it's about the size of a bus. It's a big UFO. Now this video was taken back in 2017, I believe, 2017, 2018. It was taken by the gun sight cameras of a, uh, a flight of F-18s, F-A-18, uh, what are they called? Tomcat? No, no, those are the F-14s. The uh, Hornets, the F-A-18 Hornets. And the carrier was USS Nimitz, operating off Catalina Island, off the coast of San Diego, California. So the F-18s were cruising up at about 30,000 feet, and they're getting ready to play their little war games. As the, the flight leader is getting ready to, to start a, a, a uh, gunsight run, his radar picks up something above them. He peels off and heads toward the radar contact and catches this little tic-tac-looking thing on his gunsight camera. So he or the, the radar calculates that he's at 40,000 feet. The pilot in his airplane is at 20,000 feet. So we're talking a difference of 20,000 feet from 40,000 40, feet above the earth, above the water. All of a sudden, without warning, the tic-tac goes from where it's at to right above the sea, right above the ocean. So it went 40,000 feet in .08 sec of a, 8 tenths of a second. That's fast. That's faster than anything that we have that can move like that. So now from 40,000 feet, the Tic Tac is basically on the deck right above the water, and it's cruising at a calculated speed of 3,000 miles an hour. The F-18s cannot keep up with it. Where did this thing come from? This had flight characteristics that are not normal with any any aircraft that we have in our inventory. Uh, and as far as they're, they're concerned, the Russians are in the same boat. They don't know. And so it's always been a policy of any government agency, especially the military, to file this away under the X-Files, I guess you could say. And they deny that it ever happened. But this time, the Pentagon has released the video. Here, take a look at this thing and you decide, which is something the military's never given us the opportunity to do, even though many of us out there believe in life outside our planet. Which leads me to my main point. Uh, in 1976, a man was elected into the presidency, Jimmy Cur James Earl Carter. Jimmy Carter, we all know the peanut farmer. Well, he's the second sitting president to actually have a UFO file on file. MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, has his written statement that I, Jimmy Carter, witnessed the UFO on this day at this time, and it goes and gives a very detailed description of what he saw. Now, here's the thing about Jimmy Carter's report. Jimmy Carter was a submarine commander in the United States Navy. He's very detail-oriented, and he gave a very detailed uh observation of what he saw. When he was elected president, he wanted to get to the bottom of the UFO, the whole UFO flap. Everything from day one, what did the United States know? And it needed to be released, 
and UFO enthusiasts everywhere were excited about this. And then one day he meets for his regular security debriefings with the NSA, the head of the CIA, and if I'm not mistaken, the head of the CIA at that time was George Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah, Bush 41. And he's the head of the CIA, and he pretty much tells Jimmy Carter, you don't need to know what we know. It's called plausible deniability. You can say you know nothing because you don't, because we're not going to tell you. So for his entire presidency, he was trying to release as many UFO files as he could, but he was stymied by his own government for security reasons. And I get it. The second president to ever admit to seeing a UFO was then-governor of California, Ronald Reagan. Yes, Ronald Reagan, Ronnie Reagan, saw a UFO. He was flying to Northern California in a Cessna jet to attend a, uh, a fundraising event for his re-election. As they're cruising in the airplane, they notice a bright light that is following the plane. It was hard to tell how far it was because it kept zigzagging back and forth. Once again, something exhibiting flight characteristics not normal for a normal aircraft that we were aware of. So, the plane lands and the Ronald Reagan, Governor Reagan, along with his two aides and the pilot all witnessed this. And they pretty much said nothing, even though they all filed reports one day, Governor Reagan's on a commercial flight, and he's headed back to Sacramento. And he's sitting next to a reporter that realizes who he's sitting next to and starts to interview him. And then, out of the blue, Ronald Reagan just says, you know, the weirdest thing that I've ever seen? And he starts to recant the events of what he saw in the airplane. He goes, and he goes, the pilot of the plane can cooperate my story. He saw it, too. So now the reporters are asking Governor Reagan, so, Governor, are you telling me that you believe in UFOs and Little Green Man? That's when Ronald Reagan caught himself and realized he almost dug himself into a very big hole that he wasn't going to be able to get out of. So he kind of changed the sub subject and diminished uh, and, and wrote off the conversation, and it was never spoke of again. And isn't it funny when you stop and think about it. Later on, when then-Governor Reagan became President Reagan, and in 1982, he addressed the United Nations and, may, and said these words, Wouldn't it be funny that if all of a sudden all of our petty differences would melt away to nothing in the face of an invasion force from outside of this world? And he went on to talk about other things, and then the very last sentence he said is because they are here among us now. This is a sitting U.S. president telling us that, that aliens are walking among us. They're here. So what does that mean? Well, nothing was said of it ever again. It was just made for good news fodder until Donald Trump comes along. What was he told? that he needed to know that within the first year of his presidency he would establish the Space Force. Who are we going to fight out in space?
or what are we preparing for? Do they know? Does, does our government know something that we don't? If they're already among us, and who's to say they didn't bring on this COVID nineteen disease to start thinning out the population to prepare us for invasion or colonization? This is all very spooky stuff, and it makes me wonder. I am a firm believer that there's more to life than just this pathetic race running around this planet in animal skins and and uh, and Ferraris. I don't know. But uh, I would like to think that if they're out there, they're a little bit smarter than we are, and maybe they got through all the bullshit that we've, we're still trying to figure out. I don't know. Or maybe they're, yeah, they're just going to wipe us all out and take over our planet. Hell, all the, the buildings are already here. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's a very interesting. So, if you ever got nothing better to do in this lockdown, this quarantine, go to YouTube or Google the Tic Tac video, and you'll see what I'm talking about. These pilots chase this thing, and now that's the other thing about this. The pilots have come forward, and they were talking about what they saw. There were three pilots that saw this, and... Uh, the USS Nimitz tracked this thing on radar. Her entire battle group tracked this thing on radar. So there were thousands of witnesses besides the three pilots. And I can tell you, as a former sailor, that I've seen some pretty weird shit out there too when I'm out there punching holes in the ocean. Yeah. And uh, very interesting stuff. So, you decide what you think is correct, what you believe. Are there little green men? Or are they little gray men? Or are they lizard people, like some believe? Yeah, real lizards. Uh, if you follow some of the mythology, we've encountered lizard people before. They were benevolent, but malevolency is just on the other side of the coin. So, who knows? But, uh, excuse me, uh, but yeah, so the Tic Tac video, that's something you can watch. Also, we're coming into May 1st tomorrow when you're listening to this. I am going on my, wait, hold on, 36 years out of the Navy. I got out in May, actually I joined the Navy I graduated from high school May the 28th, 1978. On May the 30th, I was at the AFI station taking my oath of uh, service. And then that very same afternoon, I was on a plane for a Naval Recruit Depot, San Diego, California. And then I got out six years later, almost exactly to the day. And, uh, well, a lot of you know the reason why I got out, but uh, I'm not going to go into that very much. So... Uh, as always, I will end this with my standard uh, ending. Live your life as best you can. Live it every day as if it was your last. Laugh at everything around you. Everything's funny. And laugh at yourself. Because you're going to do a lot of stupid shit in your life.
And last but not least, love everybody in this world, even your enemies. And I know everybody has one, at least one. And love yourself the most. Even if nobody else does, if you don't think anybody loves you, love yourself. And that's one person. So, take care. Watch the skies. Watch your back. Be a loyal friend. Sometimes a trusting friend. And if your friend burns you, well, that's life. Drop it in the bucket. Chalk it up to experience. Okay? Ladies and gentlemen, these are the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Signing off. Catch us next time. And thanks to everybody at the Anchor Radio Network for putting us up. We're on Overcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Clearcast. So just look for the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. And you can enjoy what you hear. If you don't like it, tell me what you don't like, and I can fix it. But I don't know unless you tell me. Okay? Take care, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Adios.